Chapter 12 of Sacred History Revealed by Lady Peggy O'Malley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Sacred History Revealed by Lady Peggy O'Malley. By Charles Norris Williamson and Alice Muriel Williamson. Chapter 12. If I could, without betraying Tony, I should have written to Eagle that night, telling him just a hundredth part of what I thought and felt. But I was bound by my word to keep dark what I had heard, even from Eagle himself, unless some day Tony set me free to speak. I must seem to know and believe what the public knew and believed no more. But I did write cautiously, saying how grieved I was if he suffered, how I should think of him every hour, and how I wish that some way could be arranged for me to see him by and by. Could it be managed, I asked, and I posted the letter before I went to bed, tired to the heart and more miserable than I had ever been in my life. The next morning before I was out of my room, a telegram was brought to the door. It was from Di, and said, Am engaged to Major Van Dyke. He will probably call and tell you the news himself, but thought I should like you to know first from me. Please be nice to him for my sake. I am very happy. What a hero he is. Write me all about what happened. This was a long, expensive message to lavish on me, but Diana's days of economy were over, and this was the first sign of the change. I boiled with anger against her, and should have liked to send some of my emotions over the telegraph wire. But that would have been a childish way to strike. Besides, I knew in my heart that I was a little unjust. I had treated Eagle shamefully, there was no doubt of that. But there was one thing in her favor. She was not conscious of betraying Eagle March, in the hour of danger, for she knew about him only what the papers said, that he had been wounded in an accident. It was Major Van Dyke's great exploit which had weighed down the scales in his favor, or influenced Diana, anyhow, to throw Eagle over definitely and announce her engagement to the hero. I telegraphed back, Don't make it public. Till you've heard from me, you may change your mind. I followed the wire with a letter in which I assured Di that Major Van Dyke had committed a crime against Eagle March. Perhaps it would be found out, and then she would be very sorry that she had promised to marry such a man. I dared not hope much from my protest, however, so two days later I wasn't surprised to hear that Di was disgusted as well as hurt by my wicked prejudice against Sidney. You never liked him, she said, but I didn't think you would go so far as to accuse him of crimes. If it weren't so silly, it would be horrible. As it is, I can't help laughing. But all the same, be careful what you say to other people. If you speak... Against Sidney to strangers, you can't do him any harm, but you will do yourself a great deal 
and Captain March, too. Sidney has written me a long letter telling me the whole story of that Thursday night. It has just come. Of course, I can repeat to nobody what he wrote. It was strictly confidential, though I suppose the truth is bound to leak out more or less in future. Judging from your hints, I suppose you too have heard something probably from Tony Dalziel, whom I hope, by the way, you're treating better than you did, as you're never likely to get another such chance. Naturally, you believe the other side, but after the court-martial there won't be any other side. There was just one consolation. In the next few days a letter came to me from Eagle. He said not a word that anyone mightn't have read, and told me nothing about himself except that he was getting along very well, and I mustn't spend a sad minute over him. But, he added, your thought of me and your unfailing friendship are more to me than I can express. I feel that nothing can rob me of them, and now and always they will be for me like a comforting fire at which I can warm myself when days are cold and dark. I count on you, my little Peggy girl, and I know I shan't count in vain, even though I have to say that it's impossible for us to meet now or for some time to come. Write to me when you feel like it. I shall be more than glad of your letters. If I had written when I felt like it, I should seldom have had a pen out of my hand. Yet it was hard to write. There was so little I dared, so much I wished to say. And I couldn't mention Diana. I wondered whether she had broken to him in a letter the news of her engagement, or whether she had left it for him to discover by accident. I felt that he ought to be told, but I couldn't bear to be the one to deal the blow, so I hedged when I wrote to him next, asking, Have you heard from D. lately? He answered the question briefly by the next post. Yes, I heard from her on Saturday, that was all. No comment, no word as to his feelings. But he had let me see how he loved her. He could not help knowing that I would understand what losing her meant to him, and losing her to Major Van Dyke at such a time and in such a way. Looking back at events, I calculated that the blow had fallen on Eagle before he answered my letter, and this gave a more pathetic meaning to the lines which I intended always to keep. Except for the knowledge that powerless as I was, he valued me there was no brightness in my days. Major Van Dyke did have the effrontery to come and see me, as Di had thought he would, and I had thought he wouldn't. He took me at a disadvantage by walking up to me in the hall of the hotel where I stood reading a note from Tony, warned by a flash of my eyes as I looked up at the sound of his voice saying, How do you do? He went on hastily. Don't let's have a scene, please, for Diana's sake, if not for your own. I know how you feel, so you needn't go to the length of telling me or even cutting me before people. If I hadn't been sure you were too much of a little lady to make yourself conspicuous in public, in spite of your feelings, I shouldn't have risked surprising you like this. 
I was pretty sure if I didn't catch you unawares, you would refuse to see me. So I had to take some risk, for I particularly want to speak to you. I don't share your desire, I said stiffly. You were perfectly right in thinking I shouldn't have seen you if you had given me the chance to refuse. It's like you not to have given it, but you're right, too, when you take it for granted that I won't make a scene. If it could do the slightest good, though, to anyone concerned, I would. He smiled a pale, unpleasant smile. No doubt you'd be capable of anything. Here's the situation. I'm going to marry your sister, and though you've tried your best to stop me, you can't. I wonder any man, even you, should want Diana, after the way she's behaved, I said sullenly. Thanks for that expressive even. Your weapons are pretty sharp, little lady, but you're a child, and you're Diana's sister, so I bear no malice. I'm the sort of man, it happens, who doesn't stop to bother much about the way a very beautiful girl behaves to another fellow. I love Diana, and I'd take her across that other fellow's dead body if she just stabbed him. She has stabbed Captain March, though not mortally, I hope, said I, but she has behaved as badly to you as to him, in a way. You mean the affair of the photograph, I suppose, Major Van Dyke remarked calmly. She has explained that. Not that I asked her to. All I did was to put into a letter the story of that little scene in which you were mixed up in March's tent. Answered voluntarily that March must have bribed the photographer to sell him a copy though the man had been given strict instructions to print only one for me. March had begged her for a picture. When he heard from Mrs. Maine that she'd been sitting for that fellow, who's supposed to be a great artist, and I put him off in some laughing way, I was pretty certain when I noticed there was no signature on the portrait March had that he'd not got the photograph from Diana herself. No doubt he thought all fair in love or war. You judge him by yourself, I said. But never mind. I shan't ask you to believe Di, but to believe your own common sense. Think or pretend to think what you like. I shall, he assured me. That's a great principle of mine. As a general rule, it makes for happiness and success, but we're getting away from my object in speaking to you when I know you're wishing me in kingdom come. There, said I, he laughed aloud. Anybody looking at us might have imagined us the best of friends. What a little devil you are. Where did you inherit it from? From French chocolate, perhaps, said I. What is it you want with me, Major Van Dyke? Tell me, and get it over. I want to know exactly what it is in me that you dislike so much. Only everything. That's a large order, and not very explicit. Would you have disliked me if I hadn't interfered with uh, or a person more to your taste? 
in other words with captain eagleston march oh of course if you hadn't been jealous of him i might have thought better of your character but then you wouldn't have been you do you know drawled major vandyke i've a sort of idea that it was captain march who was jealous of me it isn't in him to be jealous in the way you mean but you've asked why i dislike you and you interrupted me before i could finish dislike is a very small word for what i feel i loathe you because you've done your best to ruin him there are some things i know partly i blame myself because of what i said to you about die in camp perhaps just perhaps you mightn't have done what you have done if i'd held my tongue that's why if i've had a hand in pulling eagle march down i'd cut it off and the other one too if i could have a hand in lifting him up sounds complicated and irish sneered van dyke in your country a man is presumed to be innocent until he's proved guilty yet you accuse me of guilt on no proof whatever evidently you've wormed things out of tony dalziel and drawn your own conclusions to suit yourself so like a woman but my conscience is clear as crystal personal feelings had nothing to do with my actions every man will give me credit for that i'm sorry for march he's either insane with jealousy or he's allowed himself to be tricked privately not publicly of course i'm inclined to believe in the former theory and i think most people would agree with me if they knew all the circumstances as you put them let's go back to my object in inflicting myself upon you tonight lady peggy eagleston march is the god of your idolatry let's take that for granted he's bound to suffer he brought it on himself whatever you a child may think to the contrary do you want to make him suffer more or less is it necessary to answer i asked hardly but i have to impress upon you that it's partly in those hands of yours which you would cut off for him the full immensity of his guilt need never come out it's not intended that it should come out still if you're going to treat me like the dirt under your feet the man who will soon be your sister's husband and kick up a scandal i shan't lie still i'm not a saint if you mean to fight against me with diana or anybody else or even set people talking by your behavior by jove i'll hit back i shan't take much trouble to do my part in keeping the secret you're bound to keep it aren't you i suggested government doesn't want it to come out that's the attitude at present but when relations have been definitely and permanently smoothed over between the united states and mexico it won't so much matter except for march himself in any case i shan't let the cat out of the bag i'm not such a blunderer but i tell you frankly i can influence others to keep this secret after the time limits up or i can refrain from using influence which shall it be 
Is it peace or war between us? I stopped to think for a moment, and then I answered, It's an armed truce. We have all heard quite a lot about the mouse who saved a lion, but it was only one mouse out of a world crammed full of mice. I never heard in the whole history of mice, since those which Cain and Abel maybe had for pets, of another mouse capable of saving any animal whatever, even itself. Still, there remains that one heroic and intelligent mouse. When Sidney Van Dyke had left me to think things over, I envied it with passion, feeling that I was not even of the mouse tribe. I felt more like a fly, if you can imagine a fly cursed with a human heart, who loves an eagle that has been shot in the wing and caged. And the cage sat down on the seashore when the night tide is coming in. What could such a fly do but cling sadly to the cage and buzz and let the great rush of water drown it with the eagle? Even that fly seemed more fortunate than I was, as I pictured it to myself. For it was privileged to rest on the eagle's cage. I could not be near my wounded eagle. Five days after that awful Thursday night, a letter from Di told me that her engagement had changed all her plans. Sidney was very impatient and wanted to be married soon. The moment his work was over at El Paso, he would get long leave, and possibly he might make up his mind to resign from the army. That was what she wanted him to do, and when she had him with her, she knew that she could persuade him, for he wasn't really very keen on soldiering, and she must live in England at least half the year round. This part was for the future to decide, but in any case, there would be the long leave. It would give time for the wedding and the honeymoon. She had set her heart on being married at St. George's, for it was the historic thing to do. And there was the trousseau. Kitty Maine insisted on giving it to her for a wedding present, which was rather a weight off one's mind, as America had cost something in spite of everybody's being so hospitable and good. Kitty would go to Paris with her and help to choose the things which would be easier than having just a sum down and going alone. So they, Di and Kitty and Father, had all decided to cut out the rest of the visits arranged and make for home. California had been great fun, and Di wished she might stop longer, but one couldn't have one's cake and eat it too. Being married was her cake. This was her mistake. As I have said before, she had always had both. Major Van Dyke's work in El Paso was to bear witness against Eagle March and the court-martial, which would come on almost at once and I was to go away without hearing the verdict or seeing Eagle. 
after all was over. Di had written to Mrs. Dalziel, too, it appeared, and Milly was only too glad of an excuse to escape from the place where Captain March's society had been the first and only attraction for her. Now that Tony's time is so dreadfully taken up, she said to her mother, he can't give us any fun, or have any fun with us himself, so we might as well go away. Let's, dear. Let's clear out tomorrow and take Peggy to meet Lady Di and the others at Albuquerque, where we can get into the Limited and join them. I don't know what Tony will say, wavered Mrs. Dalziel, who was finding El Paso rather hot in those days for plump people. She looked at me. So did Millie. Then Millie laughed. No good pretending we've got cotton wool over our eyes, she exclaimed. Can't you make up your mind to take my poor dear little brother, Peggy, and put him out of his misery? Tony and I understand each other already, I said. Do you? Oh, I'm so glad, so pleased, they both cried together. And I had to explain in a violent hurry before I had been caressed under false pretenses that there are understandings and understandings. Tony's and mine was the kind of understanding which left us both perfectly free. The kind of understanding where you don't make up your mind, but just waited to see whether it made itself up. Isn't there anything between you and the poor boy, then? implored the boy's mother. Only a kiss, I said, one on a cheek, my cheek. Well, that's something, she sighed. At least it was when I was a girl. It was not much to me, though it might have been to a better regulated flapper. I couldn't dwell on such trifles as kisses. I thought only of the coming court-martial. End of chapter 12 Recording by John Brandon